You are listening to the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. and ghouls and welcome to this the 17th episode of the no ghouls allowed podcast i can't believe that we're already 17 episodes into this thing um but you might have noticed things might be a little bit different on this episode as i am riding solo uh, that is because the team were a bunch of absolute melts and uh, couldn't get together with me <laughs> to discuss this month's uh, topic of conversation which is going to be the fear Street film series that just recently dropped on Netflix. Um, so this is your heads up. If you're not too interested in listening to me waffle on for the next uh, 40 minutes to an hour, depending on uh, how bad things get, then uh, I will probably say you might want to join us again next month when the team will be back together. But if not, and you're a big fan of the Fear Street films and you want to see, or rather hear, what I had to say about them, then please carry on listening. It's really important to point out from this point on, I will be discussing these three films, uh, the Fear Street films, in quite a bit of detail. So, uh, spoiler warning is in effect from this point onwards. So if you've not seen the films already, please go and watch them uh, before listening to this because I don't want to give anything away and I think it'd be great for you guys to watch it and then listen along and see if you agree with what I have to say afterwards. So, this month we are talking about, uh, as I said, the three films that recently dropped on on Netflix that are a, a current adaptation of the Fear Street book series which was written by R.L. Stein back in the early 90s. Now, I will preface this and say um, my experience with R.L. Stein primarily lies with the Goosebumps book series and uh, his ventures and, and entries into the point horror book series as well um so i i think i kind of had the young horror with goosebumps and then the teen horror with point horror fear street was a book series that i didn't really know too much about until more recently i know when he, he kind of relaunched a, a couple of stories um i think in my research for for this episode i found that surprisingly i think these stories were maybe more geared towards a female audience um or at that at least that's kind of what it seemed to to suggest uh, a lot of the characters um were obviously strong female characters uh, the artwork even kind of down to the finer details there was a lot of effort i think put in there to grab a female audience so i don't know if that's maybe how i missed uh, th- this book series or in all honesty I don't think that the Fear Street book series was that big in the UK not nowhere near as much as as Goosebumps I know every world book day there'd be like kind of a stand for for Goosebumps I was really really excited when I saw that uh, th- this was going to be a thing on Netflix and I was even more excited when I realized that we were going to be getting three films out of this um, this was something that I've 
I've, I've never really seen before and I think is a, a completely new and unique idea but one which I, I can't believe hasn't really been done much before uh, particularly obviously with kind of book series uh, I mean when I think of successful book adapta- adaptations things like Harry Potter Twilight that sort of thing it I don't know why it doesn't make sense for them to maybe film these things back to back and and release them in a in a condensed way but I'll get more into that in in just a little bit but just going uh, giving us an overview then of the uh the the, the three films the the three films uh, are directed by Lee Gianniak, uh, probably not saying that co- correctly, uh, a female director um, who I'd actually seen some of her previous work. I'd seen a film called Honeymoon uh, of hers that she directed back in 2014. But other than that, wasn't too aware of of, of kind of uh, what what she she'd done um, or that she was uh, going to be obviously so great uh, um, in in directing uh, these films. This also marks a team up uh, back with uh, a writer uh, of Honeymoon, uh, Phil Graziadei, who I will say uh, I've kind of looked into his work a little bit more as well since obviously uh, watching these films. And I, I must say, I think this pairing oh, obviously they've worked together before i think they were absolutely brilliant um and a really great team to to take on this trilogy the the main thing i'll, I'll kind of give an overview then for for those of you out there who haven't seen um these three films god knows how you've missed them because quite honestly they they seem to have been everywhere they're all over social media i think every everyone who's a horror fan has been posting about how much they they like uh, these films so i quite honestly don't know how you've how you've missed it netflix has definitely been uh, pushing it out there for us um you've got three films one set in 1994 so fear street 1994 um the second film fear street 1978 and then you've got uh, the concluding part fear street 1666 i think again what was really unique about these these tales is the fact that you watch them consecutively but there is a, an overarching story which takes place over a few centuries um and you kind of almost need to delve back right to to the start of everything back in 1666 to be able to get this conclusion for our characters in 1994 starting with our first part the 1994 opening I think it was very, very clear, um, and I think almost with each part, there was a very clear homage in each of these almost episodes that was being released. And I think the most prevalent kind of film that they were paying tribute to uh, was Scream uh, with this. And I mean, Scream itself uh, did only come out uh, in 1996, so a few years later, obviously, than this this film was set, and I think it was a really clever way with those, with this story, obviously spanning these decades and then centuries, obviously with the last uh, part, a, a really clever way to pack in all of these iconic images that a lot of horror fans will recognise, and um, even characters, uh, dynamics, all of that sort of thing that uh, we we all obviously know and love in the horror community. So. Uh, we open with what can only be described as just a great, great nod to the opening of Scream. Uh, we've got Maya Hawke's character who's uh, packing uh, down in, in a bookshop and uh, a really nice nod as well to R.L. Stein in there with some of the books that she's, she's selling and obviously stocking on the shelves. Uh, there, there are some of the original Fear Street kind of uh, books uh, listed there as well, which is great. 
then yeah it, it basically just devolves into this opening scene that we expect from a slasher film since we've we've had scream and i i must say it was absolutely amazing i think going into this film series i was not too sure what to expect in terms of gore how far they take things whether or not this would be kind of like a a pg horror film almost or what what the situation would be and it delivered boy did it deliver there it was it was extremely gory there was plenty of suspense and i think a lot of moments there that that i I don't know i i really appreciated it and i think overwhelmingly the 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 feedback and things that I've, I've seen online a lot of people really enjoyed this this film series so once we kind of got over this opening kill and we we, we realized that we've got a killer who we believe to be dead after the opening scene we establish these two uh, towns that are almost obviously uh, opposing each other in terms of basically the the way things are going you've, you've got shady side where everything is going bad for these guys and then you you've got the the other town where basically everything is going well and has been going well for for decades and it, it sets up a really nice dynamic because we have this central character dina um who we know has just come out of a relationship and her partner has has moved to the other town so there's a physical divide but then also uh, obviously there's this reconciliation of this this relationship which is a nice theme that runs through i think all three uh, of the stories so yeah we have dina and i will say uh, as well it was really nice how there is a really organic establishment of a same-sex relationship i didn't expect it um at all and i think that's been one of the talking points for for this this film series is that the lead characters essentially uh, are a lesbian couple and that's not something that is too common um, in any genre not just horror but any any kind of film series genre at all so that was really refreshing it was really nice to see and i think it was done in a way that didn't feel forced and um, was somewhat unexpected Uh, particularly there's kind of this scene where dean is basically reunited we know that the person that she split up from is called sam um and you expect it to be a guy um and right up until the last moment it's then revealed that sam is indeed a a girl um now i will say i think character wise i really struggled with the first film in terms of at least kind of liking i guess the the lead characters and i think as the films went on i mean in particularly obviously by the third part where we reach our conclusion it's definitely on side um with them but i don't know i found it difficult to initially click with these characters i didn't think that they were the 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 easiest characters to to empathize with i think dina initially came across as as quite unlikable but then i i was listening to um an interview with with Phil the the writer uh, on this and he was saying that he had got a lot of feedback like that that a lot of people perhaps didn't like this character but it was more from I think for the character to 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 be because she's an out um lesbian in 1994 that's that's a very interesting area to play in I think just right there and I I think that the writer himself said it, it 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 would have been a really difficult time and i think that maybe spoke to how how dina initially comes across she is quite abrasive quite 
she puts up a bit of a wall uh, to people who she doesn't immediately know and I think that was probably it speaks a lot about how experiences must have been for people in that situation at that time so I think there is some authenticity there I, I think you it was interesting to go into it and not initially like too much the, the characters um, but then because we had this three film journey with them it, it, it kind of allowed that time uh, and I suppose that's something that you're not really allowed too much other than something you'd maybe see in a TV show where you've got X amount of episodes or or um, I don't know like I said the book adaptations where you do have that time to kind of get to know and love these characters um, but yes I, I think uh, the, the main thing that I took away and that I really enjoyed from the first part was, was obviously the the, the the kills I thought were great um, I thought it was great that they took the time to do a lot of this stuff seemingly practically it, it felt very true to a lot of the older kind of like slasher films that, that we've kind of seen in the last few decades I think as well while I say that I didn't necessarily initially like the characters of Dina and Sam who kind of form the centre of this story um, Sam's essentially being hunted down by this group of historic serial killers who have all gone crazy throughout the last few decades in Shadyside, um, which again is a really, really interesting concept. I, I, I really, really liked the other kind of side characters. So Kate, uh, uh, Josh, um, Dina's brother was great, and and Simon. Uh, they they kind of form this ragtag group of of outcasts um who were thrown into this crazy situation and basically have to figure it out before they get killed and i i I don't know i just i i thought it was it was a nice group of characters there was no one who kind of fit the the archetypes of what you'd expect everyone kind of had layers to them and i will say even though these characters were flawed like for example kate and simon are kind of shown to be drug dealers, drug takers. It's it's not something that is conventional for obviously the the heroes of of a piece, but they came across as as really likable. And I, I think it was obvious when when I kind of said we were going to talk about these films, there'd be spoilers and things here. But ultimately, the characters that you grow to love were the ones that then met their end in in incredibly creative ways and i think that's what was really interesting and really great about this series as well was there's a lot of characters that you really grew to appreciate but they just they were disposable and it kind of kept you on your toes because i think there was there was particularly a part in part two there was a character i really liked and i can remember watching it and and turning to the person i was watching it with and saying yeah they're gonna get it in the next five minutes because i just knew that because we'd grown to love them as an audience it just meant that they were then next up for slaughter um i think part one initially when I'd kind of watched it I was a bit on the fence as to whether or not I enjoyed the fact that it was so on the nose with the the references to Scream and also the fact that I kind of left not really super loving the characters of Dina and Sam um, who were ultimately our surviving characters um, along with obviously Josh but he kind of played a bit of more uh, a role a side role I think um, in that first film but yeah, I, I was kind of devastated at the fact that Kate and Simon had been killed. And we've got to take a minute to appreciate Kate's death. Uh, I mean, 
getting a head put through a bread slicer is is something I certainly thought they were going to chicken out of. I think as soon as you kind of saw this character get slammed down in front of it and you knew it was running. I mean, even in films like um, the Friday the 13th remake, for example, that's something that comes to mind. I can remember seeing in the trailer, there was this moment where Jason was basically pushing a character's face right close to what looked like a lawnmower or or something, some kind of rotating blade. And you were thinking, I think even at that moment, I was thinking, yeah, they're not going to, they're not going to go through with that. And unfortunately they didn't. I know that they kind of did towards the end with Jason's character, again, spoiler alert, but a lot of these times, there's a lot of shots that are there for the trailer and there for marketing. And, and you, you never actually see them have the balls to take it there. And, kudos to 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 lee the director for for taking it there because i i thought it was an absolutely harrowing sequence uh it really shocked me and i can remember actually until that point there was a lot of gore in terms of things that you'd expect maybe from the scream series and scream tv series it was kind of felt a bit teeny i suppose in in terms of what you'd seen but then bloody hell when uh, her head went through I, I can remember just sitting forward and just going oh my god like they they weren't messing around with it and pretty much immediately after that um simon gets an axe to the head so again these two characters who i really really enjoyed were literally gone in like an instant um so i i, I appreciated that it, it felt different it felt um, new in the way that it just didn't really um, care for formula and expectation and just got rid of people when it felt right to get rid of people it felt a lot more realistic um, and again I suppose that speaks uh, to um, Lee the director for taking those risks and, and also obviously the writing team I will also point out that Phil wasn't the only writer um, on obviously these these um, these films there was other screenwriters came in with different parts and i think that was also great because each part did feel like it had its own flavor and that was that was a really great thing to see i mean that this quite honestly as a filmmaker must have been such a dream project because you've got these iconic areas of horror to play in but you've also got these decades to have so much fun in i think one of the main things that did bother me just kind of wrapping things up for 1994 was the the fact that we had to establish the 90s so hard with that soundtrack and again i think it's something i've seen a lot of people talk about online it was it was hard to kind of get through some scenes because it was literally just becoming a bit of a jukebox montage. And I don't think that's always kind of the the best thing. That was something that definitely continued on into part two, obviously part three. I think you'd find it difficult to uh, find some hits from 1666 to put on the soundtrack. But um, yeah, definitely in this first part, I, I kind of felt like the the main part of the budget had gone on the soundtrack and the editing team had just gone right how many 90s grunge songs can we get in here but um i don't know i wasn't super mad at it it was just probably the only thing that really stuck out to me as being a bit a bit too much in in that in that first part but again it was uh i think it was a really really great film and it set the rest of the series up really nicely and i think it got a lot of us excited for what was to come next now um speaking obviously of the series the the main thing then was was that 
that was great about this and was one of the big marketable things was that we only had to wait a week until we then got the second part and the 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 series itself kind of had these mini trailers at the end of each um each film which was great because it kind of gave you a taste of obviously what was to come in the next uh next film but also we had this crazy great opening sequence um in the 1994 part which this this credit scene was was gorgeous to watch but it also had all these key threads to kind of pull on you know as the films went on and there were these images and kind of things that we'd see uh, things that were hinted at um and of course i mean they had a lot to establish they had all of these kind of serial killers that had come from decades previous when people in shady side had gone crazy i think they did it in a really nice nice way um it, it wasn't how the opening sequence to suicide squad was where they kind of basically just did this crazy editing sequence for like 20 minutes just to go exposition exposition this is who these characters are and these are are what they can do um so i i think they they tackled that in a really nice way um just giving us enough but it it meant that we were excited then to find out more um when we went into part two um now it was i think it was it was unique as well that the as the parts progressed we were going back in time but it was all leading um to around this obviously story that we had kind of been set up in 1994 of this witch called sarah fear who um, essentially had been hanged and, as we were to believe it, had cut off her hand and sold her soul to the devil to basically haunt the people of Shadyside and never let them escape her grasp, which was the, the foundation of, of, of this story. So we knew that the at the end of 1994, um, Dina's uh, other half, Sam, had kind of succumbed to the witch's possession um, and was essentially turning into a murderer herself. So this set us on this journey for us to go back through time and go back to one of the previous massacres, which was at Camp Nightwing uh, back in 1978. So as we as we start the second film, um, we're introduced uh, to to this this summer camp uh, in the fashion that you'd expect, and it was, I, I think. In many ways, this was one of my favourite parts, uh, if not my favourite part of of the the film series, because of the the way that it just conjured up all these images of, of films that I know and love. I mean, as I said, with uh, part one, nineteen ninety four, we had uh, a, a huge, clear homage to Scream and kind of those slasher films of the nineties. This was a clear clear stab at things like Friday the 13th, Sleepaway Camp, those sorts of things where you, you recognise this iconography and, and um, these characters and, and all of that stuff. So whilst I think they broke the mould and some boundaries with the um, the 90s part, this was very much setting up things that were typical in terms of camp counsellors, the dynamics there, there's a lot of weed smoking, um, sex, all of that sort of stuff. And it's, I suppose, for horror fans, this is what we, we expected and we lap up. What was unique, I suppose, about this part was we kind of had this central uh, story with two sisters uh, we had Ziggy Berman and Cindy Berman and we had been introduced to this character um, just known as C Berman uh, at the end of 1994 who had survived the massacre at Camp, Ca- uh, Camp Nightwing so we knew ultimately obviously shit was going to hit the fan at some point and um, 
but we didn't know obviously exactly what was going to go on and, and who was was involved now i think it was it was nice to see um sadie sink was uh, cast in this as, as ziggy berman i'm a huge stranger things fan and i think the show itself drew a lot of parallels with with stranger things obviously you've got a lot of the the uh, the the dynamics with the the teen cast um the the mall for example all of this stuff um even kind of like the slimy uh pit monster that we kind of get to meet in this part in 78 made me think of the mind flayer from stranger things but it i don't know i think the series wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel in in any way i think it was it was it was kind of hitting all of these points that a lot of us appreciate and I don't know. I found it hard to be mad at it, even though it didn't really offer too much in the way of originality. I think it was good that it it kind of hit all these points, but did it in a in a kind of like a cheeky nod um, to to a lot of these films that it was it was referencing. Um, ultimately, then this this part um, focuses primarily, as I said, on on the, these two two characters, Ziggy and Cindy. Ziggy kind of being this uh, tomboy uh, rebel. Um, at this camp who's there with her sister Cindy who's trying to ultimately fit in kind of shed this stigma that surrounds her because she's from Shadyside she's there with a bunch of her friends uh, as a camp counsellor the nurse uh, on camp goes a bit crazy and attacks her boyfriend Tommy and says look whatever happens you're going to be dead by the end of tonight so I basically need to get there first. So it sets up this interesting question as to, well, what does she know? What, what's kind of been going on? And as the plot progresses, we realise that she was indeed the mother of one of the previous killers um, that, that we've seen in part one with the switchblade. And she was essentially trying to prevent this from happening again. Now, that kind of leads the group on this quest to kind of find out a bit more about what she was on with and what she knew about and... Again, we're kind of uh, dangled with this this carrot of this story of, of Sarah Fear and whether or not um, she's to blame for everything that's going on uh, with Shadyside and maybe what, what, what could be happening at Camp Nightwing if they're not too careful. Essentially, everything dissolves into madness, as you'd expect, and Tommy becomes possessed and turns into the, the axe-wielding serial killer of Camp Nightwing. Um, I think it was it was really great to see a bit more of of what happens to the characters that are possessed i mean in the opening of 94 when um, Maya Hawke's character is attacked, we realise that it's kind of her friend who's been possessed. But it was all very fast. And I mean, it was pretty much over before it, it began in terms of that character's arc. With this, we're introduced to Tommy um, as his normal self, who seems quite nice and friendly. And then, I mean, he must have had a hell of a time just getting to just go absolutely balls to the wall crazy. Um just absolutely hacking the hell out of anyone who comes in his path and another thing that i i did respect about this was the fact that it didn't shy away from just going absolutely crazy and killing kids uh i mean that's that's always been a thing that i think's bothered me about horror movies is i don't know i, I mean i suppose you've got to keep things respectful and there is kind of that line you don't want to cross a line um and i don't think anything should be done gratuitously or, or for the sake of it but if it serves the story i mean unfortunately the way the world is is that bad things can happen to good people and that can include 
younger people sometimes and i don't think uh it would have been believable if um all of these kids had escaped this summer camp um so i i respected them for the fact that they they went there with it and they they were not afraid to hack up some kids at this camp um the gore again was absolutely on point in terms of of kills uh, it did it, it did none of this stuff where the camera would pan away and then there'd be a blood splatter on the wall we got to see everything in absolutely graphic detail and again the, the incredibly creative kills as well to say that this uh, this guy was wielding an axe there was some some great things uh, going on there so for those gore hounds and horror hounds out there i think it didn't disappoint which was uh, which was good again i suppose this kind of leads to where i i was a bit kind of i i got a bit annoyed but i suppose it's in a good way was the fact that the characters i was caring about kind of had this this feeling and like i said before i, I as soon as i kind of realized i like these characters i was like yeah they're going to be dead in five minutes and i think that it was mainly the characters of cindy and alice uh, you didn't really um like alice too much at the start of the film but then as it kind of went on and cindy and alice are trapped in this underground uh, cavern together trying to find their way out it's you 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 grew to love them uh, as a pair and can we just talk for a minute as well about cindy who was played by emily rudd um she eerily to me looked like a young heather langenkamp from nightmare on elm street like it was absolutely uncanny sometimes how similar those two looked in terms of hair like facial features everything it was just yeah it was it was mad i couldn't help shake it as as i was kind of watching it i was just thinking to myself more and more like if we have to do like a nightmare on elm street uh reboot or we need flashbacks at any point like please cast this girl because she looks absolutely the same like it was it was unreal but yeah like i said with characters and things like that it was it was it was it was hard to know that these characters that you cared about were ultimately gonna perish and i mean i suppose we kind of went into it knowing that there was really this only like this sole survivor this c berman who um who had survived this this massacre um from shady side so i suppose expectations you kind of knew that these people were gonna were gonna get the chop but you didn't know quite how brutal it was it was gonna be um as well i want to give a special shout out to um drew shide who was uh played the character of gary um in this film now um he was completely side character but i want to say this guy is popping up in a lot of stuff that i love and his career is just like it must be a dream for the the projects that he's in involved in you you might recognize him he was in stranger things um series two he was just a kind of an extra at one of the parties uh there um but he also featured quite prominently in the halloween 2018 uh film uh, as well and had a great death and he gets uh impaled through the chin on a on a gate uh, by michael myers um so yeah he's literally living the dream like hopping from stranger things to halloween to to this project now and i will say his death was absolutely amazing as well in this uh, full decapitation with the axe and then his body falls down this hole it's just yeah, it was it was crazy. I know it was one of those moments that a lot of um, horror geeks were going to geek out over and enjoy. So, I, I, again, I, I don't really know from experience with the book series whether or not this was something that was 
I don't know if they were that gory or if this was just something unique for this film series, but I I was just really happy that they took it there and they went there with it. And um, honestly, uh, I, I, I think it needed it for if you're going to do a part in 78, that's going to be so heavily influenced by the likes of Friday the 13th and Jason, then you you need to go there with the with the kills and you need to to keep that horror audience hungry for more. Uh, and I think they did that really, really well. Um, as I said, I think this was probably my favourite part overall. I think there were there were certain aspects of, of part one and, and three that I really, really enjoyed. But I think as a whole, as a film, part two was, was my favourite um, in, in kind of story, everything, uh, the way everything was kind of presented to us. This was the, the the crucial part of the story where we found out a lot more about Seraphia, her backstory. We found kind of like this ritualistic chamber um, uh, and we found uh, obviously the stones where the people who were going to become these killers, their names were carved into the stone and that's ultimately what sealed the deal for a lot of these guys. And I think it was it was really nicely done um and again speaks volumes for the project that was so unique in its approach i i if you had just one film to do all of this you would have really struggled it's it's again credit to to the director and writers involved for pacing this perfectly because we were drip fed just enough information that each part felt warranted but also that we we were learning uh, with these characters uh, what what obviously was kind of initially a bit of an urban myth uh, to these guys but ultimately would then become kind of a life and death situation and I think what was really good about this this part was the fact that they got so close to doing what they thought would ultimately undo all of this evil that had overtaken Shadyside and cursed them uh, at the end of part two and you, you essentially had this really heartbreaking moment where um, Ziggy and Cindy uh, who have kind of been butting heads for the entire film, come together as sisters at the end, trying to do what they think is right, only just to be to be slaughtered. And again, just done in a spectacular and really visceral fashion as well. Like, I think it, it definitely um, went there. And I think even to a point where I was kind of like, Jesus, like there was there was a lot of blood. It was a, it was it, it was difficult to, to watch. And I think that that speaks uh, on obviously is caring about the characters as well which is good I think I did like that we did get a bit of a break from the characters of 94 as well I think that was that was a nice uh, a, a nice thing to do um, and yeah it, essentially the film closes revealing that C. Berman is actually Ziggy um, who, who survived somehow I think that was the main issue again if i had to have an issue kind of with each part whilst i say overall i absolutely love these films i think my issue was the fact that there it was kind of unbelievable that this character would have survived to me and it was a bit miraculous uh, as well that she kind of came back to life and had this moment of oh i'm alive again and um i i don't know it um to say that they did well in so many other aspects and it felt real and quite as i said visceral in in so many ways it just didn't make sense to me that we had such a a kind of cheesy ending to to part two but hey ho it was necessary for the story and we needed this character to come back for for the present day kind of tellings of of 1994 so overall really really loved part two and um yeah 
super super stoked to then be going into to part three which i will talk about in just a moment but i don't know i don't know if you guys can can hear that it's I don't know, I'm hoping that there hasn't been interference this entire time I've been recording, but I feel like... I feel like someone's trying to come through and, and say... Bailey, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, can you hear that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where it's coming from. It sort of sounds a bit scuffly and scratchy and... Yeah, it, it, it sounds like it's coming from over there. You know, sort of, no, no, more towards... Towards the edge, you know, towards the towards the corner. That's right. It's Nicholas Cage. He's back. It's Cage Corner. And uh, this month, I'm afraid, it's a little bit of a yin and a yang situation. The good and the bad. We'll start with the bad first. So, you know how I was really excited about the Joe Exotic, Tiger King, Nicholas Cage starring Amazon Prime vehicle that was going to blow everything else out of the water? Well... Unfortunately, it's been cancelled. And I am absolutely devastated. I thought it was a role that he was absolutely made for. uh, And I'm gutted that it's not actually going to make it to the screen. Because I think it would have been incredible. However, there is some good news. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And that is his new film. We spoke about it on the podcast. Pig. Now, we thought it could have gone one of two ways. It could be so bad that it's good. Or it could be something else entirely. And you know what? It's got 97% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 134 reviews. Which tells me that this is something special. Everyone that has seen it has said the same thing, that it is exceptional that it's one of the films of the year and that Nicolas Cage delivers a fantastic performance, a performance that he's not delivered for a long time. So it doesn't rely on uh, outlandish actions or shouts or Nicolas Cageisms, as it were. This is raw Nicolas Cage. And you know what? I think it just about makes up for the fact that the Tiger King thing is not gonna not gonna happen. So pig. Hopefully, by the next podcast, I'll have watched it, and I'll be able to talk about it profusely. See you next time. Cheers, Liam. Thanks for that, Jono, and thanks for bringing some cage cornery goodness to the podcast this month. It is much appreciated. I'm also quite gutted that we're not going to get to see Nicholas Cage's. Uh, version of Joe Exotic in this Amazon series but um, I think there's a lot of other good stuff he has on the horizon I can't help but see that he's involved in so many projects these days and I think it's great um, so uh, we'll have to get together at some point and definitely watch Pig and uh, discuss what we uh, we think about that but back to the Fear Street series. Uh, thank you, guys, if you're still with me and you're still listening to this. <laughs> God help you. You're obviously sucker for punishment. But uh, wrapping things up then, uh, we cut to uh, 1666. So we're going way back in time um, to this closing part. And I think going into it, this was the part of the the series I was 
thinking I wasn't going to enjoy that much. Um, just because, I, I don't know, films like The Witch, for example, uh, I've grown to love on repeat viewing, but that kind of period New England horror, it, it's not something that necessarily appeals to me the most. And I, I don't know, I, I I kind of find that old Englishy way of talking and, and things, it, it, it kind of takes me out of it a little bit. I think uh, the 80s and onwards is, for me, where I, I like to sit with horror. But again, uh, I, I, I knew that I had to kind of sit down and watch this third part. And I think with the, the audience that they were probably appealing to, they knew that there were a few things that they'd have to kind of switch up to make sure people didn't switch off. Because I know historical dramas, horror, that sort of thing isn't for everyone. Uh, with that being said, I was pleasantly surprised with, with part three. I think part three is a close second in terms of my favourite in the in this series. I enjoyed it way more than than I thought I was going to and I think that's partly down to the fact that they bore a lot of the characters back in other roles so in similar ways to how we we expect to see um, characters returning like American Horror Stories for example um, it's the, the actors we know and love but they're back in characters that that are different and that uh, that must have been exciting for the actors involved in this project uh, as well i think it was a really interesting creative choice um but it also meant that there was a lot of really interesting parallels that could be drawn between the characters that we'd seen and how their ancestors um had kind of had similar experiences but th- this this part was essential in establishing the origins of Seraphia and for this whole story to basically come full circle um, for us to then lead into the conclusion with our characters in, in 94. The setting was was great. I mean, there's... Uh, I don't know if, if you guys have kind of checked out or seen Netflix um, being the, the behemoth of, of entertainment that they are now, of... Um, got this series on youtube called the netflix film club i know that rich mentioned it previously on a previous episode about the um army of the dead uh kind of behind the scenes that the Zack snyder's film school that sort of thing that had been going on they have had an absolute shit ton of videos put out about this fear street series and um i'm not mad at it i'm not complaining at all there's behind the scenes b-roll bloopers um kind of interviews with cast directors reactions to kills all of that sort of stuff um so i mean there's loads of stuff for you to kind of like mine from the main things that i kind of took away from kind of watching these these bits were they literally built like an entire like village for for this like production and i think that again that was kind of one of the main things that really stuck out to me as a positive about this film series was the production didn't look cheap at all it would have been so easy for them to have made it kind of in a bit of a janky way i mean that i guess you know the original goosebumps series for example has that charm to it but you knew that they <laughs> they were literally cobbling some of this stuff together um and again it it's speaking of it being like an adaptation from o.l stein's work it was nice to see them take it so seriously because i don't know there was something that was somewhat disappointing i think about the goosebumps uh film adaptation and the subsequent sequel as well i i didn't really there, there was something kind of off about it i think i enjoyed it overall but i think what was great about this was it felt like it was geared towards the kids who had maybe read the books when they came out who were now adults so 
I don't know, an adult audience has much more of an expectation of what a film should look like and should be than, I guess, a, a, a young audience would. Uh, I think there's a few corners you can cut there, and I think that's maybe what we've had with previous adaptations of R.L. Stein's work, but no, we didn't have it with this at all. I thought it all looked great. The period costuming, production design, everything was absolutely uh, amazing. And again, everything that was kind of shown to us, even though we had these parallels with these characters, I think was really, really great in terms of getting us to care about these characters. So the actress who we'd initially had playing Dina uh, back in the, in obviously the 1994 opening scene, she now spiritually I guess kind of for the purpose of the audience took on the role of Sarah Fear as well and we saw that she had this kind of parallel uh, romance uh, with the character who played Sam now playing Hannah Miller uh, back in um, in 1666 and again it was kind of like this whole story was central and around kind of their their connection and their love for each other and I thought that was a really nice bookend obviously we'd gone on this quest in 94 because um uh, sam had been kind of cursed um and then now we were kind of coming back to the origins of things and and realized that it kind of started in a in a similar sort of way again as i kind of gave a shout out for the 78 part um i really really loved seeing randy havens um playing the part of uh, sarah fear's dad uh, george fear um, he was almost unrecognizable he's a, a great character from stranger things plays the teacher who runs the hawkins av club yeah completely different vibe in this and i thought it was absolutely great i think again it was it was just little details like that um that kind of just appealed to probably who their target audience were which hopefully i'd like to think were probably people like myself who like to geek out about those little moments and, and little touches uh, like that but this part overall I think was great in the fact that it balanced that period horror in I mean again if we are talking about criticism and like maybe things that I didn't like some of the accents were a little bit off <laughs> I don't know if they were supposed to be Irish or what the situation was but I got to give credit where credit's due I mean these these kids had a lot of, of stuff to do they had a lot of stuff to manage they were spanning decades with these stories that they were telling um, and I think overall they did very well I think that was the only thing that kind of took me out of it a little bit in this part was just some of the some of the accents were a bit all over the place and overall we, we kind of had the first kind of possession or a killer being made um as to what would obviously then go on to be shady side and then the the years of, of killers after that and i think it was it was really nicely done i think it was done in a really interesting way i i, I enjoyed that it, it played with the audience's expectations i i will say i don't know if this is obviously the kind of filmmaker in in me i i I didn't think that Seraphia was going to be this big bad character that we were, had been led to believe. Um, so I kind of thought that we were going to get a bit of a rug pull moment in this final part. And yeah, lo and behold, we did. And it turns out that it was the Good family who we'd obviously we'd seen previously, um, Sheriff Good and Nick Good uh, early um, in his early years back at, in in seventy eight. I, I don't know. I think it, it was a, a tad kind of expected but then at the same time when I've, I've i've seen a lot of things uh where people have kind of reviewed it and spoken about it themselves 
they had no idea and and i i think it was it was it was clever i think i don't know if it was just me maybe looking for for there to be a twist because i i can do that sometimes and i annoy myself doing it to be honest overall i i really enjoyed the kind of twist in the tale but it then led into my favourite kind of scene sections of the series as a whole, which was 1994 Part 2. I mean, I'm not going to miss out the fact that there was an absolute great sequence involving the loss of Sarah Fear's hand. But um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you guys watch that for yourself, or if you've already seen it, then uh, by God was that gory. Uh, it just made me think of um, Evil Dead, the, the remake of that, and that whole sequence where Mia has to take her hand off. I thought it was brilliantly done. And again glad that they didn't shy away from doing that all of that practically it yeah perfectly transitioned then once obviously we we knew that um sarah fear had been uh essentially murdered and um uh, hung by the town that uh we, we'd go back then to 1994 where these characters would then also realize all, all of this um and then try and take on the big bad which was actually uh sheriff good i i think this was for me the the cherry on the the cake i, I absolutely loved the whole close to this where we were back at the mall you had that kind of blue neon lighting and i guess in many ways it kind of reminded me a little bit of cabin in the woods you know just as this this moment of just going right as a horror fan we're just going to throw everything at the screen for you and and just basically watch all of these these uh, characters battle it out and when we get that sequence where they've kind of laid the trap and all of the serial killers are together but then they kind of get coated in the blood and which is essentially what drives them i thought that was absolutely uh, amazing i absolutely loved uh, seeing that all of these kind of um characters going at it with one another and i i, I just uh, yeah i thought it was an, a really really brilliant conclusion um to the story i i don't think i i don't think they could have done it any better to to, to be honest i left uh that film and that series and absolutely loved what they'd done with it i think the fact that they've left it open is clever because i think the response has been overwhelmingly positive um for for these films overall so they'd be silly not to consider maybe adapting some more of rl stein's work or the fear street series um i think there's a ton of stuff by the looks of it that they can mine from and um it'd be interesting to see if we get like another trilogy in in a similar way to to what we've had kind of in uh in in this regard uh, whether or not that's regarding this story again um because it again spoiler alert it kind of ends with the um the book that started it all being snatched by someone i know there's some theories online as to who this kind of might be um but i don't know it'd be interesting to see what they do i think we probably will see at least another film out of this whether or not they go in a completely different direction has yet to be to to be seen but yeah, I mean, in closing, a few things then that I probably want to to kind of just talk about and just say, kind of wrapping things up with 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 this. I think overall, my my, my favourite part was definitely the the second part. I think upon reflection, as a as a whole film, um, but I will say the closing of part three, I absolutely loved, um, and I I I just thought it was 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 brilliant. Like I I genuinely can't wait to kind of watch it all again. When I was doing some research for, for, for this episode of the podcast, I, I was 
kind of reading some interviews and and uh, listening to to other podcasts as i've said and i th- i thought it was really interesting as as we said that this was kind of a really unique thing that they released these films three films three um a week apart over three weeks it's essentially creating this summer of fear that netflix marketed it as um we've never obviously seen anything like that before and i think that's very much something that we'll probably see again in the future but it's something that will be unique to netflix uh, as a platform um but what was interesting was to find out that that was mainly due to covid uh, the way that this was released the films were were done and and ideally were supposed to be released last summer and the idea was that they would get a theatrical release um, and that we would get a film a month so these films would have been in the cinema and they would have um, part one would have been released one month and then the next month you'd have gone back for part two uh, and part three so on Um, and again I'm kind of good we didn't get to see how that would have played out because I think you're kind of almost guaranteed some level of success releasing things on on streaming. I think even if something looks kind of remotely terrible, um, particularly on a platform like Netflix, someone's going to check it out and word of mouth's no doubt going to play a key factor. But Netflix has the power to, with that, to kind of push what's seen as popular on a certain day or um, what people are are watching and, and all of that sort of thing. So I think it was it was never not going to be successful. Uh, on Netflix Uh, I think it was always going to be a good amount of fun for a lot of people I think it was I I would have liked to have seen how it would have played out if it had been released in the cinemas and also if that would have also happened overseas I don't know if that was just supposed to be something in America Um, but I don't know it would have been nice to have been a part of that and and kind of gone to the cinema every month to, to see these see these films um but hopefully as i said i I think there's still life in the fair street series um and i know that the the director has expressed an interest in maybe returning and i i I don't know there's almost kind of talk about this being a similar sort of thing to like a horror version of a marvel universe uh, which i can kind of see working but I I I don't want it to be done. I think if it was if it was the right thing to do, and I think they they did really really well with this series to to keep it the quality up um, for three films. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, absolutely fantastic series, and um, cannot recommend it uh, enough. And I definitely need to go and order some of these Fear Street books now to to see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Okay, so we've come to the foreign bodies part of the podcast. And with this podcast episode being a unique one with that, it's only me babbling on for uh, however long. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give you two choices uh, this month. Now, the reason I've done this is because these are two films that I've recently watched, but they're not entirely... Uh, purely another language um, so uh, you, you'll see as I kind of explain each one um, that I would also probably say that they're horror adjacent films uh, as well which is a, a bit of a unique thing as well for for our choices on here but both of these films I would definitely recommend and I know that both of them are available for streaming so it should be fairly easy for you guys to access if you fancy checking out something a bit different um, so the first choice 
um, that I'm going to put to you guys is a film called Meander. Now, it's a 2020 French-English science fiction film. Um, It has only just been released, though. It was released in France back in uh, May of this year. And as I said, recently come to streaming platforms and... I'd kind of seen this buzz building about it. Uh, it was it was supposed to be fairly low budget, a bit of an indie kind of uh, hit, but supposedly done really, really, really well. Um, I don't want to kind of give too much away because I think, although I've kind of spoiled other films that we've spoken about, I think this is definitely a film you want to go in blind and experience for yourself. It, it kind of starts... Um, going in one direction and then takes it into a completely different direction. I think there is definitely a shift in the film where it maybe leans more into the sci-fi elements um, that, I don't know, I think it's subjective. I think it's either you're either going to love it or you're either going to hate it. Um, Personally, I found it a little bit silly at first, but then once I'd kind of calmed down a bit (laughs) and then watched it, it, I couldn't help but kind of understand and and love it and appreciate it and think wow this is actually a really great film i will say as as well being someone who is uh, extremely claustrophobic this film had some of the most intense claustrophobic scenes i've ever seen and i mean i've watched things like um alexander ajo's uh, recent film oxygen uh, you had buried obviously the descent all of these films kind of conjure up these images of just people being stuck um but this film geez louise did it take it to to places that were just uh incredibly incredibly intense um but it was all part of the experience and uh, i would implore you to definitely check it out it stars Gaia Wise as a character of Lisa, and I mean, pretty much it's a one-woman show, this film. It's extremely limited locations, um, and I, I mean, if, if, if she wasn't as strong as she is in that film, I don't think it would have worked. So she carries it, definitely credit to her, um, credit to the director as well, uh, Matthew Turi. Um, I think overall, really, really fantastic little film. And when I have recommended it to other people and they've watched it, they've really enjoyed it too. Even with, as I said, some of the sillier or maybe different elements that come into play uh, as we kind of hit the the third act. As I said earlier, this is going to be a, a double feature, a double special um, for, for you guys. Uh, the other film that I would recommend to watch as part of the foreign body segment would be uh, Blood Red Sky that's just been released on Netflix. It's a German-English film. So as I said, both of these films, not all kind of either French or not either all German. Um, there, there are some English-speaking characters uh, and dialogue in there. The only criticism I would have about this film is again it lies with netflix really is about the marketing because i think a lot is given away even by this the the kind of the thumbnail that they put up on on netflix to say watch this movie and i think if you went into it blind and not knowing that it was going to be a certain kind of film you'd probably there'd just be a whole other layer of enjoyment to it um i I think i don't know i think it's going to be out there this is um a vampire film um and I don't know, we don't really get to see that that many of them these days. And if we do, I don't think they're that successful. But this is this is a great, great film. Um basically set on set on an aeroplane. Um the the plane's been hijacked and then we have this character who has been trying to obviously contain the, this kind of monstrous 
secret um which ultimately then is let out and i don't know you're kind of as an audience you're almost cheering this this character to let this out just to defeat the bad guys almost um and i think it's it's great great fun i think the makeup effects were amazing um definitely a gory one uh it does not shy away from from the gore at all it, it i i think what was clever about it was that it to say i i think vampire films as a whole are a really great platform to be exploring a lot of social issues and i've previously spoken about this um i think in the 80s in particular there was a whole kind of vampires blood being scary there was the aids um, pandemic happening kind of in in the real world and i think what was good about this film was although it's present day it still had something to say and it was using the kind of vampire mythos as a as an avatar for saying that i mean there's a lot of social issues that are commented on regarding uh, religion race um stereotypes all of that stuff in this film and that's not the most common thing to see in a horror movie um but again i think it sometimes takes a film that's made outside of this western kind of mold and what we expect from hollywood uh, or what have you to kind of have those ideas and make those comments so i definitely check it out um i will also say it has one of the most unlikable villains ever i think i've seen in in a film i absolutely hated uh, this guy uh, and i'm sure when you watch the film you'll know who i'm referring to uh, but yeah overall really really great fun and i would definitely recommend it so that wraps things up for this episode of the podcast i hope it wasn't complete torture um for you and uh, as i said the team will hopefully be back together um, for next uh, month's episode so can't wait for that because that means that i can have a break and i don't need to be talking for a solid hour on my own in a room uh, as always every month we run a contest over on instagram so uh, we will be posting a picture on our instagram feed when this podcast goes live um, to enter and win some super freak media goodies all you have to do is like that picture and we will be getting in touch if you have been chosen to be the lucky winner and we'll get things sent out to you um, again loads of stuff for you to check out on the uh, blog um, Charlie is always making new uh, monthly posts so definitely check out what we've uh, we've posted this last month and also please be sure to check us out on our other social media platforms it really means a lot if you can support us we're posting some great stuff over on TikTok now so yeah we are down with the kids and we are posting um, on, on TikTok so if you want to give us a follow that would uh, mean the world to us but for now as always keep it creepy and we'll see you on the other side over i am never ever doing a podcast on my own again you've been listening to a podcast on the super freak media podcast network to show your support be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on and you can find us on social media in the links in the description of this episode thank you for listening